Introducing the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. With 25 million copies in print, learn how the Don't Sweat Wisdom can help you achieve greater mental health and better communication with your family, friends, and coworkers from a beloved teacher. Rediscover your passion, joy, and self-compassion to awaken your most vibrant life. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. This is Christine Carlson. Before I introduce you to one of my dearest friends and just a great man, a truly authentic great man, let's go ahead and take our golden pause. So wherever you are, sit comfortably. And of course, if you're driving, just pay attention to the road and just breathe deeply with us as we go about this golden pause. So go ahead and sit with your legs uncrossed and your hands open on your lap. Posture upright, your shoulders back, and just begin to breathe. Breathing in through your nose and allowing your chest and your belly to expand fully. Taking in the maximum amount of oxygen. And then as you exhale, just let yourself relax and let go. Breathing in, breathing in light, light to every cell of your being, to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers, to the tips of your toes. And as you exhale, let yourself relax a little bit deeper. On your next inhale, as you allow your chest and belly to expand, breathe in love. Pure love. Fill your heart, your head, your whole body with love. And on the exhale, allow yourself to let go even further, letting go of any stress or tension you feel. This time, as you breathe in, place your hand on your heart activating your heart and opening your heart, and just spend a moment thinking about one small thing you feel grateful for. Fill your heart and your mind and your body and your soul with all of that gratitude that you feel right now. And just spend a moment breathing in that gratitude and exhaling any tension or fear. And this time, as you breathe in, go ahead and open your eyes. Oh my gosh, I always feel so much better when I take a golden pause. It just, it just brings me into my body and makes me feel so much more present. So thank you for doing that with me. I have a very special guest today. My own introduction of Mike Robbins is that he is a personal friend, a personal friend that goes way back. Um, was so dear to Richard. I always say Mike was the brother that Richard never had. He just really adored Mike. 
And they met through their work. They met um, in about the time that Mike was really pursuing um, at the very beginning of his career. And I'll let you tell him. I'll let him tell you that story in a few minutes. But I'd like to read his bio because over the last 10 years, 10 to 12 years, he's created an amazing career for himself. And he's worthy of that career. And I'll tell you why. Mike Robbins is the author of three books, Focus on the Good Stuff, Be Yourself, Everyone Else is Taken, Already Taken, and his latest book, Nothing Changes Until You Do. He delivers keynotes and seminars that empower people and organizations to be more successful, appreciative, and authentic. Prior to his speaking and writing career, Mike played baseball at Stanford University and then professionally with the Kansas City Royals organization. After his athletic career was cut short by injuries, he worked for two internet startups before starting his consulting business in 2001. His clients include Google, Wells Fargo, eBay, Gap, Twitter, the San Francisco Giants, and many more. And you can find out more about Mike on www.mike-robbins.com. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm glad to be here. And the, the, the golden pause is actually really good for me. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. It's always good for me, too. It just like, lands me in a place yeah. that I, I just, my energy isn't there until I do one. So I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, of course, before we started recording this for y'all, we were just chatting away and we decided that today on the podcast, what would be really um, good to talk about, you know, we've, we've all been through just a lot of um, crisis, like, you know, collective crisis lately, yeah. and just watching, you know, different people and different families and in different areas of the world um, go through some tremendous uh, change that has been thrust upon them, you know, from Mother Nature, especially, and also... You know, we can't forget that um, about the Vegas shooting that just happened a few short weeks ago. Um, You know, it's just been like, I don't know, you know, every time I go to the store, you know, I I notice that there's a new donation, you know, and a new, and I'm I'm always donating because I'm, I just like, I can't believe how much as a collective our world is going through right now. And yeah. And it's true that nothing changes until you do, but it's awfully hard when change is thrust upon us like that. And yeah. So I just want to talk with you and just have a you know conversation about you know the things that you teach and and how you teach people to bounce back. You know when they're in the um, because a lot of people are so sensitive too. A lot of people are so empathic, yeah. and I am too. And that we feel the suffering of other people and. And it affects us, even though it might not be happening to us directly. We we definitely feel the anxiety of that. That's that's amidst our culture right now. So, yeah. Yeah. So how well, are you? How are you talking about that, Mike? I I, <laughs> I mean, I, I think one of the first things we have to do for all of us is is just be real about how we feel. You know, I mean, one of the things, and and you know this, and you teach this, and Richard taught this for years too. I mean, having a, a healthy and positive perspective about life doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge when things are hard or painful or challenging or sad or, you know, I mean, that, that's, you know, what we've seen around the world and, and right here where you and I live in, in the Bay area with the fires that happened most recently, you know, those things are devastating and they're scary. And so, you know, part of navigating 
through any kind of change or crisis. I think it's the first part of it is just being real. Um, you know, we live in, in Northern Marin County. Um, the fires that happened didn't quite come down as South as where we were, but the first day when they broke out, we weren't sure. And I got home from a trip actually, Chris, that morning I spoke in LA and then flew back home and the girls, my girls who were 11 and nine weren't in school for the day. It was Columbus day. They were at school, but Michelle, my wife had them pack their bags and we were ready to go if we needed to go. And it was one of those weird, you know, going around the house and looking like, what would would we take? And on the one hand, it was like after the girls and the cats and like the the photos and the computers with the photos on them. And I mean, kind of nothing really mattered and everything, you know, it was one of those like, well, I don't know, I'd miss a lot of this stuff. But, I, you know, it was just so for me personally, it was just and it was scary and upsetting. But at the same time, there was something. And of course, we were very fortunate. Nothing happened. We didn't have to evacuate. There was no fire near us. So sitting here in my home now where everything's fine, easy to say this, but it was a moment just even for me personally, I think this is true for all of us, whether we're directly impacted by something like that, or just see it on television or read about it is to allow those things to impact us and be real about how we feel at the same time. And you know, this as well as anyone to then use even the pain or the fear or the challenge of it as an opportunity to deepen our own commitments to the things that are important to us. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I kind of went through the same thing myself, even though the fires didn't even get anywhere close, but I, I was suddenly realizing, wow, you know, this could happen at any time. And I, w- I was also thinking about, like, what would I put in my car right now? You know, right. what is not replaceable, you know, and most of the things, the material things really are replaceable. And I had the same thing. I, I was like, wow, in some ways... That'd be a great way to clean out. <laughs> I have a lot of cleaning yeah. up to do. <laughs> right, right. But I would, you know, <clears throat> I realized I didn't, I would take, you know, Richard's hard drive and yeah. I would take my computer and my animals, <clears throat> my pets and any photographs that I couldn't duplicate or hadn't duplicated. And, you know, that those that would be the things just like you yeah. did, you know, and, and you're right. For all of us, that is the opportunity instead of watching on to the drama of it and, you know, in, in being engaged in purely the drama, but to put yourself in those, in those, in that position, because for your own personal growth, you know, that's, that's what growth is all about is, is being able to look at something and say, wow, if that was me, what would I do? How would I feel? And how would that change my life? And right. And then we get we get all the benefit without the burden, you know, like of of having to go through that necessarily ourselves. But it also trains our minds to realize that you know your day, <clears throat> everyone's day of suffering happens in their lives, and yeah. you and I, I mean, you've definitely suffered a, a series of losses this last couple of years that are yeah. really intense. And yeah. of course, everyone knows I've suffered an intense loss or two. So. Yeah. You know, it's like we all have our day where we're going to go through loss of some kind. And, and it is true that homes and things can be rebuilt, but people can't. So right. <clears throat> right. appreciation is so important and paramount to that experience for sure. Absolutely. Well, and you've, you've written about this so beautifully and so vulnerably in your own journey through grief, I, I think, again, change, you know, and, and again, we, we go through grief and we go through loss in, in different ways. I mean, it's 
sometimes very, very significant and poignant when we lose someone really close to us. You know, when, when Richard died, when, you know, my sister Lori died last year, um, you know, having lost my parents. I mean, those are very, very specific, significant, painful losses. But, you know, what I've been realizing more in the last couple of years, Chris, it's like life is full of loss and it's full of, you know, even just as a parent, you know, it, it's, it's full of heartbreak. <laughs> Well, it's full of heartbreak and also just the moments. I mean, my, our girls are only 11 and 9, and so we're just right in the thick of it. But I have these moments. Where, like, actually, last night I had a dream that we had a baby, and I woke up this morning and told Michelle, she's like, oh, God, we're not, you know. <laughs> we're not doing that. Not having any more babies. I said, no, but the thing that I noticed in the dream was I was thinking to myself, oh, wow, we had a baby. Like, that's crazy. I, we're not quite set up in our lives, and we're a little too I mean, I had all these thoughts, but at the same time, I was like, oh, I'll get to re-experience all those baby toddler things that – you know, I'm finding myself now as, as our girls are getting a little older that just in looking back over the last decade or so going, Oh, I'm never going to have a two year old again. I'm never, you know, I mean, little things. Well, that's but again, not true. <laughs> right. I mean, you look, are I mean, going to have a two year old again because you have girls and they probably will have babies. So <laughs> that's right. 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 But I'll be, that'll be a different phase of, and a different approach, which I know I can, you know, learn from you about. But the, but the point being, I think is that as a culture, though, I don't know that we do such a good job of really embracing mm. grief and loss and, and not just simply when people die, although we seriously don't do that. But just again, it's like things happen and we go through. I mean, there's been all of this tragedy in the world. And is there a way for us to experience it with our hearts open? And again, not somehow sugarcoat it because it is hard and painful, but at the same time, really lean into it and look for where's the beauty, where's the transformation, where's the growth, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that I think is, is hard to do. Cause I think as human beings, I know I do this. One of two things often happens when something difficult or painful happens is we go into some kind of denial or just sort of suck it up and move on because it's too hard to deal with. Or the other thing that we'll do, and I imagine a lot of people listening to us talk, given your work and, and the audience here, we do the spiritual bypass thing. We do the like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason and it's all meant to be. And while I do believe that's absolutely true, I think sometimes we do that in avoidance of actually feeling the feelings, you know? And I think a lot of what we're experiencing right now in our world on so many levels is a fundamental sense of, of uncertainty, of insecurity, of, you know, there is all this change and there's all this intensity and I think because a lot of us don't know exactly what to do with that and we might be pretty sensitive, you know, there's ways in which we're all trying to cope with it. Some of which I know even for myself aren't the most healthy. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's, that's typical because when we don't understand something and when something confuses us, um, it often, you know, it often makes us want to just hide from it, you know, and, and, right. and hide from the fear rather than, you know, face the fear and, and really acknowledge that it exists. And, and, and then, like you say, I mean, feel it, you know, feel or, or lean into it in a way like, well, how can I help? How can I serve? What could I do? What could I do to, you know, help those people that are going through what they're going through and, you know, and treat others the way you want to be treated. And I, I love that, you know, I, I address that in my newest book from heartbreak to wholeness about, I don't call it um, spiritual bypass, although that's a great term. I just say, you know, that um, I don't, I have come to the realization that 
not everything happens for a reason, but that we have to find the reason why everything happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that we have to find meaning in all things. And that, and that's going to be different for each of us. You know, that's going to be different because we all kind of come with our own DNA blueprint growth, personal growth plan. You know, that's, that's what I think. Like our soul is pre, it's not like fate, but it's predetermined what we're here to do. And it's our journey to figure out what that is and to remember that and then to do it and, and to, you know, live the best version of ourselves that we can amidst all of the heartbreak and trauma that we have to go through as human beings, because it's, yeah, it's our nature as human beings to go through suffering and to suffer and be attached and have to let go and, and have to pick up the pieces and, so I, yeah. I think I think that's super powerful, and thank you for um, pointing to that. Yeah. Well, and you know, one thing too, with with respect to how we can go through change or deal with change or or, or find an authentic way. I love what you said about finding the meaning. Sometimes when things happen, you know, I mean, you mentioned this when when you were introducing me. Um, you know, when my baseball career ended, so you know, I, I started playing baseball as a kid at seven years old, and got a chance to play in college and then professionally. And then I got injured and I was 23 when I got injured. Um, and you know, as a pitcher, I hurt my arm and series of surgeries and wasn't able to, to make it back to continue to play. And so I was devastated. I was, you know, this had been my life, my identity, my, like this was who I was and what I was going to do. And, but I had a conversation with a friend of mine, um, not, all that long. It wasn't like immediately after probably six, eight months after I had come home and was, I'd gotten a job and was, you know, sort of trying to figure out what I was going to do next really. And, and my friend Brian said this thing to me, Chris, when he said, look, Mike, when you go through something difficult in life, one of the questions that we all tend to ask ourselves is a really dangerous question. So you want to be careful. And he said, you're probably asking it. You know, I ask this question from time to time. If I were you, I would definitely be asking. He said, but the question that we ask, we go through something hard is why did this happen to me or why is this happening to me? Right. And he said, makes sense. He said, the problem with that question though, is you keep asking that question. The only response you'll get is some, you know, reason or justification or some, something that basically validates why you're a victim and why it's not fair. And he said, but if you change one word in that question, it'll fundamentally change the way you're related to this challenge or any challenge to change the word to, to the word for Mm -hmm. why is this happening for me? And so for me at that time, when he said it, it was like, I don't know that I even totally agreed with him. I understood what he was saying, but I I remember leaving that conversation challenged, but I started to ask that more. And, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing, but as I started to ask that question more and more, I started to find that there was a lot of meaning in this loss in, in my own life, this end of my baseball career, this thing that I wanted to do, this thing that didn't seem fair, that I didn't like, that was painful. And it wasn't ignoring the pain or the challenge, but starting to ask deeper questions. And, and you know, you know this a bit, but I mean, reading Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and reading and uh, all of Richard's books at the time for me helped me personally through that process, among other things that I was doing. But also I had this sense as I was reading his books and his work was like, wow, this is super helpful. I'm really grateful for it. I'm like, I want to do that. Like, wow. how does someone do that? I mean, that was my question, right? I just was like, how did, you know, cause I was like, well, he's, you know, and I, I, I started to learn a little bit about Richard and I researched a little and read about him and, oh, he was an athlete. Now he lived here in the Bay area, but it was this, like, oh, he's a psychologist. So he went and got this trip, but I was like, 
And the first time I ever reached out to him and we connected, I wrote him a letter and just said, thank you so much for your book and your work. And I love it. And I just, you know, I don't know if and when I'll ever be able to do this in my own life, but I feel this sense that I'm, I'm supposed to do that. I want to do that. And and his response back to me was so, was so kind and so loving as of course, then once I got to meet him and connect with him, I realized that's just who he is and who he was. He was just so beautiful and wise about it. He gave me a little bit of advice and basically just said, like, if this is what you're meant to do and called to do, like you should do that. And and it was the validation that I needed. And then as we got to know each other and, and became friends and he started to really mentor me, um, you know, through his mentorship and his love and his support, it did really allow me to start to believe at a pretty young age that like, Hey, maybe I can, maybe I can write something and say something and speak in some way that might actually help inspire others. And for me, and it's a long way of me saying it was part of that question of why is this happening for me? Oh, maybe there's a way I can turn some of my own suffering, some of my own pain into my own growth and also potentially into helping and inspiring other people so that I'm not just completely obsessed with me and what's going on with me all the time. Yeah. Well, and your story is so powerful. And of course I, I love that because I definitely address that in my book from heartbreak to wholeness too, about how life really does happen for us. And you, and again, it goes back to that, that you have to find the reason and, 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 but if you have that fundamental belief, which is so powerful, you know, it really does shift you from being the victim of your story and becoming the hero. And, you know, certainly, you know, certainly like I'm sure you saw that you could go both ways in that situation. And Mm -hmm. for a time, everyone does. I mean, there's nobody that isn't a victim at one time or another of their circumstances. You just look at it and go, this is, this is really crappy. You know, (laughs) this doesn't feel good. I don't want this. This isn't what I want, you know? And, but, but you're right. That is a fundamental question that we all have to ask ourselves and such a powerful question and such a powerful way you did was why is this happening for me? And I, I love that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I mean, that's yeah. incredibly powerful. In in the face of change, you know, that is the question that will alter your mindset around that change. And then, so Mike, like, what do you teach people when you go to Google and stuff? Like, I, I just want to <laughs> hear about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, so it's, so it's interesting, right? So my work over all these years, Chris, is really... Um, a lot of it, especially these days, most of it is in the business world, right? So yeah. I go to places like Google and Wells Fargo and Microsoft. And, you know, what I'm often talking about, there's a couple things. It, it sort of depends on who I'm talking to. So these companies bring me in and it'll be, sometimes it'll be a big sales conference. Sometimes it'll be um, a leadership meeting and it might be a bunch of leaders across the organization or it might be an actual team of leaders who work together. Um, and so oftentimes the context of the group that I'm speaking to or working with will change a little bit, which, which alters a little bit of what I'm teaching and what I'm talking about. But the fundamental things that I'm talking about is appreciation, authenticity, and how to deal with change, you know, in the context of Daily life the working world. Working world. Yeah. But, but, but what, what I find is so interesting is that. You know, and, and 17 years of doing this, I mean, I'm not a, a, a corporate guy myself. I mean, I spent all those years playing baseball. I literally worked for two years in the internet world in the late 90s before the dot-com bubble burst. I mean, that was my business experience before I started 
you know, coaching and then speaking and ultimately writing. But what I, what happened was I started, I knew some people in the business world here in the Bay area and I started getting invited into speak at companies in the early two thousands. What was happening at that time in the economy here in the Bay area was a lot of people who had worked in the dot-com world and the technology world had gotten laid off like me and who were young. were now getting jobs working for more traditional companies so, you know, again, Chevron, Kaiser, places like that, Wells Fargo based here. And there was a challenge, as we still see in the business world in a different way today, but a challenge between baby boomers and Gen Xers trying to work together and figure out how to work with each other because of styles that were different, ways of working, ways of operating, ways of communicating. And so I started getting invited in to talk about teamwork and collaboration because I had some experience as an athlete. I then worked for a couple of years for a couple of different small, you know, startup internet companies and realized, oh, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by as an athlete was there's this thing in sports we call chemistry, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it, and no one can quite define what it is, but it's sort of like the, that intangible quality of a team that either has the team be more successful or less successful. And it's not usually based on talent. It's more based on personality and how everyone gets along. And when I left sports, I erroneously thought that was a sports thing. Then when I got in the business world, I realized, oh no, that's not a sports thing. That's a human thing. In business, we call that culture. Mm. It's similarly intangible. It's hard to, what is that? It's like, I don't know. It's like, well, how the manager talks to the employees, well, how people feel, how people communicate, what's the vibe in the office. I mean, all these things that are sort of like not really quantifiable. They're not on anybody's job description, but like they're palpable. So like a company like Google that you mentioned, I've done a lot of work with. One of the reasons why Google has been so incredibly successful, I mean, their technology is amazing, their business model and how they've approached things. They got some incredibly smart people, but they have one of the strongest company cultures you'll find in the world. Like you could walk into a Google office anywhere on the planet and you know you're there. And one of the things that is universal across that company is people love working there. And so it's one of those things. So what I've done over these last many years, in addition to going in to teach, I'm always there to learn. Because I learn a ton from all these really interesting, smart people, whether I'm at Google or whether I'm at, you know, Deloitte or I'm at, I mean, and places like I walk into these organizations, Chris, a lot of times, like I never worked in consulting or I never worked in technology specifically. I mean, I did some online ad sales, but like I I meet an engineer, I meet somebody, I want to find out from them what's going on. And what I found is while I learn a bunch about business and, you know, leadership and it's that sort of. As our, our friends Rich and Yvonne like to say from Challenge Day, you lower the waterline on the iceberg and people start to get more real. And what I find is, and this is a lot of what I talk about, is how can we be more real and vulnerable with each other? Because down below the waterline of the iceberg, whether I'm in Silicon Valley or I'm in Dallas, Texas, or I'm in New York, or I'm in Switzerland, or I'm in Tokyo, or I'm with people who work in a technology company or a nonprofit organization or you know retail, it doesn't matter people are people yeah and so like my big passion and like the book i just wrote is called bring your whole self to work my big passion in my work is how can we be even more human and more real in the work that we do and maybe we're maybe we have a business online and we're marketing ourselves or our services or maybe we work for a big fortune 500 company or maybe we're at home with our kids or maybe we're i don't wherever we are how do we bring all of who we are to what we do and not think we have to be a certain way in, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, so that's a lot of what I'm talking about. And that is, that is what changes the culture because, you know, I, I just had the experience recently of going to a big 
party like that was by a big company um, from a friend who works in the corporate world. And I was her plus one, you know, for the mm-hmm. night, just as, you know, we're not lesbians or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but just as yeah. just as her plus one, and it was yes, it was, yes. was eye opening for me because I never had been to a big corporate event like that where it was yeah. you know it was all for the corporate culture and and it was interesting because what I noticed was the party was sensational. There was a lot of money spent. They had like Cirque yeah. du Soleil performers. Yeah. Food was wow. great. It was it was incredible. But it didn't look like anybody was having a good time. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I thought, you know, I thought, wow, you know, I, I feel so bad for these people because it just doesn't look like they're having that much fun and they're under a lot of pressure right. to not be or not show. And this same friend, you know, she had to take like um, a stress leave of, of absence mm. because she was experiencing some harassment from her supervisor. And, mm. and, um, and she she just said, oh, my God, I'm just so embarrassed to go back. I'm so embarrassed to go back. And I said, why are you embarrassed to go back? I don't understand. She said, because it's just not done in the corporate environment. You just don't take a stress leave. And mm-hmm. and I said, well, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to speak on your behalf. And I want you to know that even though you think that's the way it is, I'll bet you have fans that are applauding behind closed doors Oh yeah, that you did that for yourself because you put yourself on your number one priority list and your health and your well-being and your mental well-being was number one and you did what you needed to do. And I said, I would do nothing but applaud you for that action. And I am a hundred percent sure there are many people that looked at that as leadership, not yeah. as, as failure. So, sure. you know, and I, I just think like, but I, I love what you're saying. And, and I know that, um, for me, you know, the corporate world is very mystical. It's a mysterious thing. Like I, I always wonder like, what do people do every day? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's, I'll say a couple of things. I, I love what you just said. I mean, a couple of things that I would say, and, and when I'm often talking to, friends of mine who are coaches or they're writers or they're, you know, in the, in the sort of self-help personal growth space, as I imagine a lot of people listening to us are, and you know, you and I have a lot of colleagues in that world. And, and sometimes what I say is look, and it'll ask me questions about, well, how can I bring myself or bring my work into the corporate world? And my, my response is always like, look, people in, in the business world, for the most part, they're just people, right? They're people, they have jobs and you know, I mean, there is a language and there is a culture and every organization has its own thing and there's all of that. But it's like, you'd be surprised that once you get there, it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of people doing some stuff, right? And like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and but, so there's that. But the, the other thing is that, look, and it's not, this is not true everywhere. So there may be people listening to us who work for an organization or, of whatever size and say, hey, it's not like this where I work. But the business world is also changing a lot and is very open-minded and progressive in certain ways because one of the things for better or worse, there's a, there's a lot of dark side to the quote-unquote corporate world in America and across the world. However, the business world really does move in a pretty agile way based on what's going to have us be most effective and most successful. Yeah, well, most and so what's really interesting, Kristen, for them. <laughs> yeah, it, look, in the last decade, let's just say, there's a, a lot of research that's coming out. There's a lot of people in the world of academics and the world of neuroscience that are now looking at things like stress, things like mindfulness, things like well-being and saying, okay, here's what's happening. If, if, we're, if everybody's burning out, if everybody's overly stressed out, if people are miserable, 
And look, it, you know, for the most part, the economy's been pretty good for the last five, six, seven years. So workers have some leverage they can move around, particularly in certain sectors like technology here where you and I live in the, in the Bay Area. Companies have to respond to that. And one of the things, while the millennials get a lot of grief as an organization, as a, as a generation, like, oh, they're entitled and they're spoiled. No, one of the things that we're learning from the millennial generation is they don't care as much about hierarchy and status in a certain way. They're not interested in going and getting a job and staying there for 25, 30 years and moving their way up the ladder inside of that organization. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to make a difference. They want to have fun. So what that means is they work places for like two or three years tops and then move on to the next place. And so what organizations are having to do is adapt and respond to that in a way and say, we have to be more progressive. We have to be more open-minded. We have to be more flexible about things when people get stressed out or they get sick or they need to work from home or they have kids or whatever. Now, it's not because necessarily they want to do the right thing all the time, although some of them do. It's also because they want to stay competitive and they need to keep their best talent. They do so, because that's so costly for a company to yeah. lose their upper, you know, the people that have worked up that have been productive and done their job for three years and they go someplace else. That's so costly to them. Totally. But, but I think the other thing that I would say though to all of us, again, whatever, wherever, whatever kind of work we do is looking at sometimes in life what ends up happening. And I've had to learn this myself because again, I got into this work. I didn't expect that my work was going to move in the direction that I'm working with all these companies and organizations and corporations. And I often, especially in the early years, I felt like a real fraud. Like, gosh, why are they hiring me to come in here? Like, I don't know that much about business. I, I've never managed a team of people. Like, like I'm, I'm talking about things and to people who do stuff that I literally have no idea. I mean, I sometimes would walk into a room, and this still happens, where I, I can't even explain to you what the company does. But they're bringing me in there to talk to them about how to be more effective and successful in their business. But what I realized, I was able to align myself behind okay, you know what? I don't have to know all the details and intricacies of what everybody does because what I'm there to talk about and what I'm there to do always is connect with people and help people in whatever way I can, open their minds, open their hearts, connect more deeply with each other, with the work that they do, with their own personal you know, meaning and purpose as well as what's going on around. And what's interesting about that is that I find the world that we live in with all of this stress and, you know, uncertainty and everything you and I were talking about earlier, I think there's an even deeper commitment in our world right now than ever that people want to live meaningful lives. They want to make a difference. They want to have an impact. I mean, look, we go on social media and there's all kinds of crazy stuff on social media about everything. But I do feel like part of the reason why we're all writing and speaking and, you know, look, everybody on the planet, not just people like me and you who write books and have podcasts and go out and speak, <laughs> everybody these days is now publishing, right? Yeah, and that's true. For better or worse. Yeah, but I but think, I think part that's of great the, too. Yeah, but part of the desire is people want to have an impact. They want to know I can say something and it's going to impact people. Sometimes they do it in interesting, weird ways. Sometimes it's, it can be divisive and political and it can be not all that. But really, what do they want? What's underneath it? It's like, I want to say something. I have something to say, and I want it to impact someone else. I love and that. I love that. That's such a, oh, so powerful and so, so true. I mean, and in essence, you know, it, like even with the work that I've been doing on this book, it's it's how we all walk the hero's trajectory, the hero's journey, yes. according to Joseph Campbell, too. It's how we take our collective suffering and how we take our individual suffering and, and we turn it into some piece of wisdom, some message in the mess that we can bring back to society and give back 
as our yeah. contribution through story. And I, I, that's so powerful, Mike. Thank you so much. I mean, we could go on and on. And, <laughs> and I, I mean, oh my gosh, I could talk to you forever. And I'm sure everyone listening would love for us to continue. We'll just have to do it again. But I think that's a great place um, for us to close um, this podcast. And, and I'd love for you to say one more thing before I remind everyone where they can find you. Um, but just like what your parting wisdom is for our listeners today. Uh, I think, um, you know, it's interesting. We didn't talk about this specifically, but I also just want to remind myself and all of us to like in the midst of everything that's going on right now in the world or whatever might be going on in your life personally, it's like, let's just be kind and compassionate to ourselves. You know, like I was talking to a friend the other day and we both were laughing and we just said at one point, like being a human being is hard <laughs> and it is, it's hard and confusing and it's beautiful and amazing, but like, it's, it's hard sometimes it's, you know, so just for if the kinder and gentler and more loving we are to ourselves, I think the easier it is to navigate whatever we're going through, whether it's great or challenging or a little bit of both. Yeah, I love that. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and want to remind all of you to return again and again and listen up and you can find Mike Robbins at www.mike-robinson.com. Thank you, Mike, so much. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Thanks for listening to Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. Visit christinecarlson.com to receive 30 days of Don't Sweat Wisdom delivered to your inbox. And remember to subscribe to this podcast now to receive Don't Sweat Wisdom from Chris every week.